Hello, my name's Ellie. I am Anthony's wife. Uh, the reason I have pushed him to do this podcast is because he has a really good way of listening to people and asking them interesting questions. Whenever I'm at a dinner or a function and Anthony's at the other end of the table or of the other side of the room at a party, I always think, I wish I was next to him being part of his conversation because I know he always asks people interesting questions and finds out the intriguing parts about their lives. So I thought I'd really like to listen to a bit more of that and I think other people would too. So here we are, Anthony. Yeah, what do you think you're going to do with this podcast? Well, that um, what you said, that's really nice. And I think, yeah, people like to talk about themselves. And you don't have to ask too many questions to get them going. And they'll tell you stuff that they've probably never told anyone. And it makes for interesting conversations. And you might have just thought that person was a normal everyday person. But they've, they've done things that make you go, wow, what are these people? They're amazing. Mm. So I like that side of um, you know living in the caravan and being able to meet people that kind of inspire you to do something like this yeah Hmm. well we have been together about 12 years but known each other maybe 14 and from the first time I met you you were like this you were interested in people and you would ask questions but have you always been interested like that do you think or is it, it did something happen and it made you interested in people and a better listener and questioner that's yeah that's a good question um no i was pretty shy yeah probably wouldn't have spoken to anyone as a kid but um i did read a few books and the uh, dale carnegie's book was a good one he talks about how to make friends and influence people and and it's a simple equation is to ask them something about themselves they won't know anything about you, but they'll think you're really nice. <laughs> yeah. But you'll have found out a whole heap of things, and uh, they'll tell you on the first session. So I probably, since reading that book, you know, you, you can experiment and you'll find out that it's true. Mm. They'll just start talking. But I think some people do that purely for people to like them, whereas you seem to do it out of genuine interest predominantly i'm sure there's times when you're making conversation but well they'll know when you've stopped listening and you're thinking about your next question yeah. so that's the hard part is to not do that yeah. so if you um if you show an interest in what they're saying then you're not thinking about your next question and it just meanders mm. so i don't know oh well that's kind of how it's happened well yeah. listen yeah so, can you tell all of us about who you are, where you were born, your family growing up, that like sort of right thing? Right from the start. Right from the start. So, who your who were your parents and where were you born? I was born in Melbourne mm-hmm. and my parents' uh, mum was from a, a Lebanese family. And Dad was from an Irish family, and both of those families had five kids each. 
and mum and dad had six, five boys and a girl. And we just grew up in a new suburb in uh, Victoria, in Melbourne, and we were just like any other normal 1960s bogan kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Come home when the street lights are on, mum would say, and that's when we knew dinner was ready. You probably weren't typical in the fact that your dad was a pilot yeah. and he travelled away and that sort of thing. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so when I was probably uh, eight, he learnt to fly helicopters. And that was pretty unusual then because the helicopters weren't as common as they are now. And he used to go away um, a lot of times to Western Australia or New Guinea or Antarctica. So the stories that he would tell us would be really interesting and exciting. And uh, no other kids' dads were helicopter pilots, so we used to love telling people that's what he did. Yeah, you would have been pretty cool kids. Well, whenever we got a chance to go to the airport, we would. Yeah. We'd sit in helicopters and pretend to fly them. and And today you're doing that with your granddaughter? Yeah, today. Nice. She was sitting in a helicopter the same as the one I learnt to fly in. Um, So yeah, that was great. What do you remember most about your childhood and your family, the things you liked the most about it? Um, There was nothing bad. It was a great family. Um, It was busy and it was interesting and Dad's, Dad's work made it even more interesting. Um, it, wherever he went he took a camera a video camera or a film camera so we'd have film nights and that was yeah, that was great we loved it mm-hmm. and from your memory of your parents, were they in love? well it's hard to know you don't know as a kid whether you, whether that's the case um, I think so Yeah. yeah but Dad was away often, so I don't know. Mm. Sometimes he'd come home early and the door would be shut, so I guess they were. I guess there's six of you, yeah. so... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there would have been more. Oh, you yeah. never know. Yeah. Uh, so your mum didn't work? She just looked after the family? Because it would have been uncommon for a mother to be working in that era, wouldn't it? Yeah, she didn't work. No, she. I don't think she drove until the fourth child was one or two years old. Mhm. Mm. So, who were your siblings? Brothers and sisters. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I was the eldest, and then there was uh, four boys under me. No, th- three boys under me, then a girl, then another boy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, as the eldest, did you have lots of responsibility and looking after kids that sort of thing I did uh, when I was 17 dad uh, was killed in a helicopter crash so I became the um, stand-in father and uh, mum relied on me a fair bit to be driving kids to and from school and put Easter eggs out um, at Easter time and be of support to her so that that was a role that I wasn't planning on. Mm. Um, Do yeah. you think that's shaped 
you a little bit as to who you are now? Probably the sensible side of me. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. Yeah. 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 Do you think that perhaps the fact that at 17 you were kind of like a dad and you were from then on responsible and having to have jobs that paid the bills and then had your own children, that sort of thing, is why you're enjoying the freedom of being a little bit irresponsible at the moment? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I get... Yeah, definitely. Definitely had to be responsible from an early age. And it's kind of hard to grow out of that. No, I've never been responsible, so... (laughs) No, just joking. Yeah. So... When your dad died, uh, was that um, a really upsetting time for your, for you and your brothers and sisters, or did you all have to sort of just toughen up and get on with things? Pretty much, just toughen up. There was, in those days, there wasn't um, much consideration or guidance for counselling. Um, at the same time, Mum's mum was sick, so Mum was nursing her. So we we just had to yeah, get on with things, um, and we we were kind of used to him being away, mm. and so after he died, it was like as if he was still away. Yeah. And we would often hear the back door going and think it would be him, mm. and think that it wasn't real. So yeah, we would we just hardened up really. Mm. Got on with it. Given that this might be something that your grandchildren listen to one day, do you mm. want to talk about your dad's accident and yeah. yeah, tell us a bit about that and what happened around that, so that they one day might listen to this and be able to know? Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he wasn't supposed to be flying that weekend. Uh, one of the other pilots was sick, and he was filling in. And they were doing um, forestry burn-off in uh, the Alps in Victoria. Not far from where we work in the winter, actually. And they were using a thing called DADE's Delayed Action Incendiary Device, which uh, was like a giant match. And they were held in a box that was attached to the side of the helicopter. And the observer's job was to open the lid, reach in, get one of these matches... Uh, strike it on the lid and throw it out and then the uh, bush below would catch fire and it would be a controlled burn off and the we can't we can't determine how it happened but the box full of these matches caught fire and so that straight away caused an engine failure and because it was the Alps it was pretty steep country and um lots of tall trees they they were not only were they on fire but they hit the nearest tree and that was it so it was pretty heavy duty at 17 mm. and all the rest mm. of them younger than me yeah yeah definitely mm. um so from my memory there was a little bit of controversy controversy around the crash and people accusing your dad of 
drinking. Drinking yeah. on the job and things Tee-to- like that. Can you tell us about that? pilot was 0.05 as the newspaper article. Uh, he, yeah, he, uh, when he was a young man, he, his plan was to become a priest. And it wasn't until he met mum that he decided that was not going to happen. But he did uh, take a vow of abstinence, I think at about 18, which was maybe common back then. I don't know anyone that would do it nowadays. <laughs> but that was for, to not drink. And he never did. He never ever had an alcoholic drink. So for the newspapers to say that, it was ludicrous and it was as equally as upsetting as the accident. Um, but as it turns out, they had some um, blood mixed up between okay. the pilot and someone else. So it was all resolved, but wasn't wasn't very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And you ended up having a connection back with that accident when we were in Falls Creek the other yeah, year. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, uh, so in the winter, we drive uh, snowcats. Um, passenger transport at Falls Creek and we met a guy there who was a you know, bit of a tough at least he thought he was tough he was tough, <laughs> a tough kind of guy that was silent, wouldn't talk to you and a bit intimidating and uh, he was training me to drive the husky or the snowcat and uh, we just got to chatting and he told me he was from Brighton I asked him if he knew about the Arboretum, there's a a memorial park for um, essential services people that have died in the uh, course of their duties in Brighton. He goes, yeah, I, I know it well. I used to mow the lawn there. And it turned out that we were the same age and uh, he knew everything about the accident. He, what, he, One of the men in the helicopter was his footy coach and he was as close to the footy coach as he was to, more closer than to his own father. Mm-hmm. And he was best mates of the sons of the footy coach, and it was a it was an amazing tie-in story mm-hmm. that sent shivers up my spine. And uh, yeah, he it was the same for him. Yeah, yeah, a nice connection. Yeah, it was good. Mm. Yeah. Um. So you're seventeen. You're now kind of the man of the house are you still at school oh uh, no apprentice electrician apprentice electrician yeah. okay how did that come about um mum's brother he wanted me to he offered me an apprenticeship at the end of year 10 and i said uh might do another year so i did a year 11 and then i started an apprenticeship with him and uh i still got an electrical license yeah so it's because of a really good trade to do. Definitely. Uh, I didn't. I had no intention of doing Year Twelve or going to uni. Couldn't see the point. And in those days, that was. Uh, it was far more common to go into a trade or to not finish <coughs> school, unlike the yeah. pressure to go yeah. to uni these days. Well, yeah, that's right. And um, most trades now they're asking for Year Twelve, yeah. which is crazy. Get them out of that Year Twelve. And get them, get them going, get them working, and mm. they're a year closer. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, yeah, it was good, good to do. Okay, so you, f- how old were you when you finished your apprenticeship? Twenty-one. 
Yeah. And did you work as a qualified electrician for long? I worked as a qualified electrician till 1984, and then my next younger brother, Chris, came to me and said, I'm, I'm going to learn to fly helicopters. And uh, I started laughing at it, and he said, you should do it with me. And I said, ah, uh, nah. I said, oh, I, I won't pass it, I'm not smart as you. And I didn't have much confidence in that regard. And he was very, very clever. And he said, no, we'll do it together. I'll help you. And uh, we did. So we, we decided to do all the theory first. We didn't do any practical flying where other people were spending their money on flying. And we thought, we'll do our theory. If we don't like it, we haven't wasted much money. Mm. So and also you haven't... <coughs> If you can pass the theory, the practical will be easy. Yeah, that's right, because it's all done. the theory is often the difficult side of things. It was. The, well, I'd, I'd done an apprenticeship, an electrical apprenticeship, and that the theory of that in itself was difficult. Uh, but this, to me, was way more daunting, because only smart people flew helicopters. <laughs> little did you know. Little did I know, <laughs> yeah. But we, we did the theory first, and what we would go to the, our class during the day, do our theory. At night we'd go home separately, do our homework, and then get together and correct it. And normally I'd have a lot of things wrong and he'd have everything right. So by the time we got back to the class next day and we were correcting our homework, it, we'd both have everything right. So we looked pretty good. Well, you were pretty lucky. Yeah. And have him. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, Mum was awesome about it when we told her that we were going to fly. She she, um, she bought us a couple of helmets, mm-hmm. but gave her a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, she thought, oh, well, that's what you guys want to do, and then away you go. Pretty amazing woman. Mm, she was, mm. yeah. <clears throat> so you both learnt to fly, then did you, where did you go after that to try to get work? Well, we left uh, Melbourne and we got in a um, little van that he owned and we drove around Australia and tried to sell our souls to the devil to work for free. And um, <clears throat> Unless you've got mustering experience, no one really wants you to work for them. So uh, basically we, we just um, knocked on people's doors and we ended up in Alice Springs and we met a guy with a helicopter who did joy rides and he had uh, his helicopter was in bits in the hangar, and he said, "Well, you can you can help work on the helicopter, and you can stay at my house for free." Okay. So that's what we did. And uh, who was he? Uh, his name was Murray. Yeah, yeah. He was a really good guy, and his partner's name was Trevor. Yep. <clears throat> and when I when I don't think we ever got to fly his helicopter at all. Um. But we, we had done some work for a, another rogue that lived in Darwin and he was awful to work for and his, his machines were poorly maintained and we couldn't wait to get out of there. Are you too afraid to say his name? <laughs> no, n- no. <laughs> probably, probably, yeah, probably don't want to say his name. <laughs> but when I was in Alice Springs, there was a, there was a, 
uh, tourist operation at Ayers Rock and the pilot that flew that um, got a like a hepatitis and so the owner of the helicopter said do you fly a jet range and I said yep and he said well do you want to go to Ayers Rock for four weeks and I spoke to Murray and he said you'd be mad not to go and uh, didn't didn't leave the guy never came back so Chris and I both got jobs there and we started doing jaw rides at Ayers Rock and away we went now that was a that was a wonderful start starting point definitely yeah and from there we both got jobs working for a Western Australian company mm-hmm. and uh, we worked there together for a couple of years and then he decided to return to Melbourne and start a flying school yeah. and I decided to stay and this is Chris you were Chris, talking about yeah. I decided to stay and uh, fly helicopters to iron ore tankers Okay, so they would be much bigger aircraft than you had been flying? No, no, no? it was the same. It was a jet ranger. Jet ranger, okay. Yeah, day and night. And where was that? Uh, that was um, near Karatha. Okay. Hmm. By this stage, had you met your first wife, Bernadette? Yeah. Okay, so where yeah. did you guys meet? Um, Alice Springs. Okay. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> no, well, I'm asking you questions yeah. as an outsider who yeah. might be interested. Um, there's no buy. I'm your current wife, yeah. so I'm not going to ask you nitty-gritty details about your first marriage, yeah. Yeah. but your daughters who will listen to this, mm. it would be a little bit weird if you don't mention the fact that that, that part of your life existed. Yeah. So tell us about when you met Bernadette. Um, well, uh, it was before I started flying. I went to uh, when I was 21. I went to live with a mate in Alice Springs mm-hmm. and work as an electrician. Yep. And I met her. She was travelling with her family. Met there, and um, but it wasn't then. It was kind of um, yeah. We we didn't we parted ways, and I went and learnt to fly. And it was after I got my license that we got back together, and we moved to Perth. Okay. Yep. So did you where was she from? Adelaide. So did you how did you did you write to each other or how did you keep in contact after you met? I can't remember. As if you can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Well how like you, you don't just go right. from a date in Alice Springs to then living together in Caratha and having a family. Something happened in there that your children and grandchildren are gonna to want to know about. So you elaborate. Yeah, I'm just, it's a long time ago. I'm an old man. <laughs> Not an old man. Um, no, we went out for a while. Yeah, but was that in Adelaide or? Uh, yeah. How did that work? Yeah. So yeah. back to Adelaide. So you were in Adelaide for yeah. a while? Yeah. Okay, what were you doing in Adelaide? Just working as an electrician. Okay. I worked at the Adelaide Uni, actually. Okay. Yeah, oh. I used to catch a train to work. Okay. Yeah. So you, lived, you lived in Adelaide and you guys saw each other for a a couple yeah. of years? A or? mate of mine came over from Melbourne and we lived together here. Okay. She lived with her parents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which mate was that? Uh, Shane. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what he's doing. Hmm. And so you decided to get married? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Did you propose? Yeah. How did you do that? Uh, 
I'm not asking these to make you feel awkward. I'm asking you for are. your no. I'm asking for your kids' sake yeah. who are going to listen to this one day. Oh, uh, oh, actually, before no. That, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get things out of you. Yeah. Now, before I started flying, we were going to get married, and she was like 18. Mm-hmm. And um, she came to me one day and she said, I'm not ready to get married. And I said, oh, well, that's great because neither am I. <laughs> and we'd had an engagement party and we gave all our stuff back. Oh, wow. And she went back to Adelaide and I stayed in Melbourne and learned to fly. And that's how that happened. Okay. Yeah. So then it was like, I, th- I think she got a job as an air hostess. And she was about to move to Sydney and we met up again and she said, well, I'm either going to do that or I'm going to come with you. Yeah. I said, all right, let's go to Perth. And we worked in Perth and then we worked up out of near Carapa. Nice. Mm. So she sort of left her family in Adelaide to yeah. go along with you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. brave. Yeah. 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 Good. So you ended up in Carapa. Mm. And you're flying there. Did you have any children by this stage? Olivia. Okay. She was so born in Perth. Okay, so tell us about when she was born. Uh, yeah, well, that's a pretty good story too. <laughs> See, people are interesting. I've got lots of them. You do? Um, I was flying um, in a place called uh, Rudal River, which is middle of Western Australia, uh, Lake Disappointment area, and we were looking for uranium. And uh, it was a r- remote camp with maybe 100 people. And we used to fly geologists around to different sites each day. And while while we were flying around, a helicopter was, came into our area, and he called a mayday. And that's what you call if you're having a... Mm. Um, Accident. accident or something's wrong with the aircraft and anyway he crash landed his helicopter and did a bit of damage but he was okay and it was the first kind of crashed helicopter I'd gone to and reflected mm-hmm. on how flimsy they are mm-hmm. and uh, my boss rang up my wife at the time and said there's been a helicopter crash but Anthony's okay and that night she went into labour mm-hmm. So uh, that was, I think, three weeks early. So then the chief pilot called me up and he said, Righto, I'm coming up to relieve you. You need to get home because mm-hmm. you're having a baby. Yeah. And uh, I remember I'd written a letter to her saying, I think this, if it's a girl, we should call it Laura. And I got on a, I flew a helicopter to the camp. I got a plane to Mount Newman. I got another plane to... Uh, Perth, my sister-in-law collected me and drove me to the hospital and Olivia, the baby, Olivia as her name, was already born and uh, as I walked in the door the doctor said to me, what do you think of Olivia? (sighs) So I hadn't had a, uh, I hadn't been part of the name choosing. Yeah, but But it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And she's a beautiful woman. Yes. So that's your first child, and yep. did you have any more children while you were in Perth? No. 
No, you've no. moved to Carrara. By the time, well, we were in a place called Wickham, yep. which was um, a smaller town than Carrara, mm-hmm. and that's where we were doing the marine pilot transfers, and Catherine was born there. Yeah, so okay. that's the second one. Yeah, and yeah. were you around when she was born? You weren't yeah. offline yeah, yeah. or no, anything? No, 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 I, I was there. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. She's an awesome woman too. Yeah. Has she always been an awesome woman? Mm. She's always been a lovable, lovable person, but she was a tantrum child. Was she? Yeah. Big time. And when I see kids throwing tantrums now, I just laugh. Because <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> and then you had a third child? But we came back here. Um, what did we do? We came back here to work uh, on an Adelaide contract. And Madeline was born here. And then we got a transfer. No, no, where did we go? We went to Thailand. Yeah, so with the two kids we went to Thailand for six months and uh, worked flying on uh, offshore to offshore oil rigs. And uh, then once that contract finished we moved back to Adelaide and Maddie was born there. And then when she was maybe less than a month old, we moved back to Karatha for the second time. Mm, wow. Mm. Would have been challenging to be a mum of three little girls and yeah. moving all over the yeah. place. Yeah, she yeah. did well. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably why they're all so close. <laughs> probably, yeah. Because when you're sort of thrown into an environment where you don't know anyone else, you sort mm. of form a stronger bond. Mm. Yeah. And also bonds with people that work in the same place as you do yeah they they don't have parents either yeah so everyone helps each other out yeah nice hmm and then uh, we worked there till uh, 97 then we came back to Adelaide and I flew the rescue helicopter ever since then mm-hmm. was there any people in Karatha in particular that you met that stick in your mind as um having had impact on your life or fond memories, that sort of thing? <clears throat> well, in, in aviation, I've met some of the most awesome people, but I've also met some of the worst. And uh, everywhere I've gone, there have been both. So there's a, there's a couple that I work with there that I'm still in contact with. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty impactful. Yeah. No details? No. <laughs> no? Okay. No. So, the Adelaide mm. Rescue Contract? Yep. How did you end up with that job? Um, well, because I've been flying to oil rigs and I've been flying uh, multi-engine aircraft, I was qualified and it was within the same company. Okay. So, it was basically a transfer. Yep. And I flew that um, pretty much from 97 to maybe around 2005 and it was it involved um, day and night um, all weather retrieval of medical patients whether that's a car accident or a hospital transfer 
or search and rescue, but uh, also an element of police operations. What are the the things you liked about that job? The things uh, probably uh, it was pretty exciting, especially when I first started. I was younger, obviously, and uh, you know every every flight was to somewhere different, and you know it was it was interesting work. Um, flying at night time, I liked that. But it, as you get older, flying or working shift work and flying at night especially with the more modern cockpits and night vision goggles, it becomes more difficult. Um, a shift working is is not ideal for anyone, let alone for anyone that does it for a long time. Mm. You, know, you're, you, you, you never recover from sleep debt, or, or just as you recover, you're back to work. Mm. Uh, your normal cycle is out of kilter. Um, you, your your moods aren't as good because of you know you you haven't had any sleep, mm. and the people at home don't get that. Mm. You go home and you try to sleep, but they're all there. Yeah. So it's, I I wouldn't recommend it, but I enjoyed it. So you've covered the things you didn't like about that job <laughs> already. What's that? Yeah. 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 The, sh- the shift work. Yeah, the shift work. Shift yeah. works. It's a young man's game, really, yeah. shift work. I mean, to to most young people, that would be the best job in the world that they could the best dream job. of having. Yeah, yeah definitely. And yeah. if you stopped anyone down any main street and told them what you did, they'd say, well, how do, where do I, how do I sign up? Yeah. Where do I get that job? Yeah. was, mm. yeah, pretty awesome. So where did you go after that? Um, I left that job because um, a nameless individual convinced me that I should go and work with him and he turned out to be one of the worst in the industry but I was grateful to him because that's where I met you yes we worked for the same company and um, we liked working together and people would probably say that there was something going on but there wasn't just that we were like workmates. But during that time, I separated from my wife and left that company. And um, a few, a couple of my mates who didn't know each other but knew you and me said I should ask you out. And you, I said, you said yes, which was extraordinary. Yes, it was extraordinary. It was a little bit frightening. Why would you? <laughs> Well, at the time I was, um, I had three teenage kids, I was overweight, I was in debt, and uh, I had nothing to offer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was. But your potential, I you had, had potential. potential. <laughs> and I'm 18 years older than you, so. Yeah. That, um, yeah. But there was something. There was something. And there still is. Feed you to it. Say that. Okay, so you've worked at this Adelaide company. It was just a small business. Um, it was a pretty interesting place to work. It was, wasn't it? yes. It was good yep. fun, and it was, even though there might have been people there that you, you know, 
didn't see eye to eye with. Didn't see eye to eye with and, and don't have the time of day for. Um, there was a lot of good about that yeah, company it was fun. and we had lots of lots of fun working there. Yeah. And met there were some great people that worked there as mm. well. Mm. Yeah. It was one of the my most enjoyable workplaces that I've ever worked in. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um so you left that workplace. I did. Yeah. I actually remember the day you left that workplace because I walked out of the room having had a drink, sort of farewell drink with you and I touched you on the shoulder and I said, I'll see you soon. And it was like a bolt of electricity shot up my arm. So um, that was a bit freaky. freaky. had freaked me out a little bit. Mm. Um, but I didn't really... I didn't really know why. I just thought, oh, okay, that's a bit odd. And then it was that later that night that you phoned me and asked me if I thought there might be something, mm. which to me meant you felt the electricity yeah. <laughs> as well. Yeah. So... Um, Definitely. It was a pretty delicate situation because obviously you were very recently separated and had three daughters and... Um, if it was going to happen, it had to be it had to be out in the open straight away. Mm. It couldn't be a secretive thing. So we had to very quickly decide um, whether, whether it was going to work or not. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a bit about what you were that time in your life where you've um, decided your decided obviously you mutually decided to end your marriage and then we got together just for your children's sake to sort of explain your emotions and how you felt and that sort of thing mm. through that time. Yeah, it's a it's a heavy-duty thing to uh, stand on an altar as a young person and say, I'm going to be with this person forever. And then you, you picture your life projecting forward to old age and think I'm not I'm not going to be happy because we're, we've got nothing in common and we're we're completely different and so it's such a hard thing because it, you know, if you didn't have children it would be relatively easy but you think about your children and think well you know maybe we should, should stay together for the kids but oftentimes as the kids themselves become adults, they say, for goodness sake, you two, what are you still doing together? You obviously don't like each other. So it doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter when you do it. It doesn't matter how how you wait. It's it's never going to be good. There's never a good time. There's never a good time. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, what the outcome and the way the girls interact with you is based on how how awesome they are, but also how you've behaved towards them. Um, you don't have your own children, so that's a that's one side of it. It's not complicated, but you you treat them like they're important because to you they are. Yeah, yeah. and they you know they they haven't had an opportunity to go. She's a bitch because <laughs> you're not. Mm. And so that that whole thing, 
while it hurts and it hurts people and it's, um, maybe maybe some people will never get over it. I hope that they those girls don't grow up going, I'm like this because my parents divorced. Mm. I hope they grow up saying, I now get the best of both of them because mm. they're now being themselves and they're with mm. the people that um, insist upon it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there was not a lot good about it. <laughs> now when you have to sell your house and separate your money and... Mm. Um, Pretty stressful Pay maintenance time. and have your kids over and they sleep there and then they're there and then they're all upset because their clothes are here, there and everywhere mm. and it's it's just hard. Yeah, it I just think takes time. I feel sorry for kids who do week about or mm. weekdays here, yeah. weekends there. Yeah. And yeah, it just takes time and you, you have to not... You have to treat the children as the most important thing and not bicker or fight in front of them or about them. Mm. And if you can get on the same page and, and do that, then it, it'll it'll work out. Yeah. But if you're saying to your kids, uh, what's what's she up to? And if the other partner's saying, what, what's that dickhead of a father's doing? Mm. You know, then it'll fail. It'll fail big time. You can't. You can't put your children against the other one. No. So, but here we are mm. in a caravan. Yeah. Mm. But we've probably skipped a few really important things that I can think of in your life. Mm. Um, so mm. rewind to back to Adelaide Rescue. Uh, yeah, potentially, or your mum remarried? She did. did. She? Yep. Well, that was when I was, that was when I was 21. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, she married a man with five kids. And when they got married, there was uh, nine kids at home. Yeah. Wow. So that was, that was full on. But she took it in her stride and she said, well, the only difference is I have to cook two chickens instead <laughs> of one. Yeah. And um, it it was like a party every night in mm. that house. Mm. Uh, they lived in a court or a cul-de-sac, and there was nowhere to park because we were all we took up all the spots. Yeah. But yeah, that was that that was that, that was great for her. He, the man she married, Alan, he loved her, yeah. and he treated her really well. Yeah. And they were married as long as she was married to Dad. Yep. Mm. That's nice. Hmm. Yeah. And another, I guess, major life event was your brother. Tommy. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I was on uh, uh, Adelaide Rescue, and a job came in for. Well, I was on shift, and there was a job came in to go do a search for a missing helicopter. And it was my brother, and they wouldn't let me do it. Uh, someone else did it, um, and he and another guy they were yeah they were killed in a helicopter crash that we haven't been able to, to determine uh, what caused it. Um, but yeah, it took them three days to find him. They were on their way to start a new tourist operation at Kings Canyon, and 
some for some reason they hit the ground really heavily and they were both killed. He was 36 and he had three daughters. Mm. <coughs> uh, six weeks later, Mum died. She'd wow. been sick with cancer, but I think that just topped her off. Mm. Oh, would. And that was that was pretty heavy duty mm. time, um, and probably more impactful than what happened to Dad because I was a kid then. Yeah. But now I was an adult in the industry and. Mm. Um, yeah, that was that was unfair. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people in the, in that industry that maybe shouldn't be flying, and he wasn't one of those. Mm. He should still be flying now. He was he was that important. Yeah. Mm. And how do you, how does his accident and your dad's accident how does that impact you and how you operate as a pilot? Well, it it makes you mindful of uh, how the aircraft are maintained, um, whether the systems that are in place are, um, are worthy or a waste of time. Um, it makes you try to get everything right. But in when I was um, fully flying the shift work towards the end I would um, land and let out a deep breath and go oh, I got through that one mm. and it sounds silly but <clears throat> I just kind of thought that it could happen to anyone anywhere at mm. any time and it was a relief to be back on the ground Yeah. but that was me just probably not thinking straight having been doing shift work since 1997 and um, it was kind of a driving factor for me to give flying away for permanently yeah which I did in um, about 2014 okay yeah tell us about that well I just couldn't do the shift work anymore it mm. wasn't bringing out the best in me Mm. and you would agree oh definitely um, and there were, there was no way I could get around not doing it mm. that was the only there job was no that, other options, was there? that pl- paid really well and it's like do you keep going for the money mm. or do you stop doing it mm. you know it's kind it was I kind of felt like they owned me and there was there was no way of getting out but at the time we had uh, we had a business with flotation tanks that you ran. A flotation tank. Oh, with one, yeah, <laughs> that you ran. And I said, I'm going to give up flying and I'll start my electrical business, hmm. which I did. Yeah. And I got a trailer and away I went, and it was refreshing because I was I was not doing shift work anymore, and I was in my own bed every night and. I felt really good about it and then I met some people that did air conditioning and I started working with them and we were floating a lot and uh, you had said I remember you saying you needed to just meet just meet an aircon installer who needs an electrician one or two days a week to yeah, help yeah. and within 48 hours 
he appeared. Yeah, well, that was the float <laughs> business that did that. People we would just say something like that to each other and they'd turn up. Yeah. Uh, but I before that, I'd learnt to be a reflexologist. Mm, you did that I, while you were still working to keep your yeah, mind busy. While I was flying, just, yeah, to, to be active, I did a diploma in reflexology and I practiced reflexology within your float business. Mm. And that was great too. Yeah. And uh, that 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 would have been great podcast. Yeah. Because every single person that. whose feet I was rubbing told me stuff that maybe they shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Secret stuff. Yeah. But probably couldn't have recorded it. Yeah. But yeah, that that was that was the start of of me getting a healthy mental state. Yeah. I think. Maybe we need to rename the podcast. It could be "Let Me Rub Your Feet." Let me rub your feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. While you're rubbing your feet, you'll get everything out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. So you were floating a lot. You were working as an electrician. How did you find transitioning back to climbing through roofs and doing all of that after you'd essentially sat around watching movies for work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've spent a lot of time sitting around waiting. That's the job of um, aerial ambulance. But we'd we'd been doing triathlons, and we did a half Ironman, which was aw- awesome for me to have done it because I couldn't even run to the letterbox when we met. <laughs> and so for me to go back into the roofs, I was fit, yeah. and I was it was easy. You were probably running rings around the young guys. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I, it was easy, and and they couldn't understand it. So yeah, the, the triathlon training was helpful. Yeah. So we were floating. We were doing a lot of exercise. I was doing electrical work. You did do a little bit of casual flying, didn't you? I did a bit, bit of casual flying in Victoria. Mhm. But um, then not a lot. And then you did a job up in. The Northern Territory. Yeah, did a job with the um, U.S. Marines on a military base up there. That was interesting. Yeah, that wasn't a very good scenario, was it? No, no, that was one of those ones in aviation where you go, this hasn't been planned well. Mm. Uh, There was uh, no night vision goggles, um, very dark and very dusty. So it wasn't wasn't the safest of things to be doing and I told him that I wouldn't fly out there in the dark not with the not with our goggles mm. so I don't know if I was too or maybe it wasn't too popular after that I think sometimes what I've seen of you in the aviation industry is that perhaps the management sometimes don't like you because you're prepared to say the things that the more junior pilots are not prepared to stand up and say hmm. because you've seen consequences of what goes wrong hmm. yeah. you you say I don't think this is right hmm. I don't think we should be going hmm. I'm not going to fly that whereas hmm. maybe more junior not pilots not to be belligerent though yeah. no but you're doing it From a to safety be safe point, yeah. yeah and that goes back to your question earlier about dad and Chris Mm. that's kind of been driven by that I yeah, think yeah. I think so mm. 
that's a big lot of talking on my behalf. Mm. Maybe but people, there's more if, to if say. there's anyone that would listen to this, they're probably switched off by now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. so. Maybe they'll pick up more at a later date. Um, oh, there's so many different aspects of you that um, are really interesting, and um, I think we've probably talked way too much about your maybe about your flying and that because it's really only one aspect of you mm. um, but it's also an aspect that people find quite interesting mm. well, I know that whenever we go somewhere we, if we go somewhere and people ask what do you do and you're asked first I never get asked what I do mm. because they're just so interested in the fact that you fly helicopters that the whole conversation ends up being about that and I don't even exist, which mm. I don't I don't well, care, but I, I know that you used to often pretend you were something else. Yeah, but for that reason. Yeah, yeah mm. it's quite funny. And I, I understand why you'd do it, but, but I'd be more people interested are interested. In, I'd be more interested in knowing what you do. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another podcast. Is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... We were running a business from home. Yep. You were doing electrical work, a tiny little bit of casual flying, and... Reflexology. Reflexology. And there was a bit of a hiccup with the float room, and we ended up not being able to operate it from home Mm. anymore. So we rushed into buying a group of shops we just wanted one didn't we do you reckon we rushed <laughs> <laughs> well we needed a, we needed a shop mm-hmm. one shop to be able to put two float tanks in but um, we couldn't find just one shop and we found a set of well, shops we did find a yeah, shop we did. and we shook on a deal mm. and the guy pulled out on it mm. at the last minute yeah but he told us about another group of shops. Yeah. Funny how the universe conspires. That something that seems like a bad thing at the time ends up being the best thing. I think that would be our entire lives. Mm. Everything, anything negative that happens w- mm. within a very short space of time, we both go, mm. oh, yeah. aren't we glad that happened? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. We found a set of shops, five shops. And uh, they were pretty run down and in a poor state. And uh, we neither of us had full-time jobs and we applied for a loan and got it. Yeah. <laughs> Ended up buying the set of shops. I, th- I remember the day, the lead-up to it being about to settle and we were both just every day counting down the days that we didn't get asked to submit most recent paid slips and yeah. group certificates. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Um, we knew that the loan wouldn't go through if that mm. was the case, but yeah. no one asked, yeah. so we didn't say. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, we got the loan. Well, we, we renovated the two shops that we needed while you kept working, and I think working at home still. Did, mm. Was there like a was there a day that you were shut down? No, we had people floating on a Saturday morning at the home business mm. and then that after, I think we might have stopped there at midday and then that afternoon we had our official opening at the wow. and we had a couple of our regular clients floated 
first that when Saturday afternoon that, and we had an that's opening. Like, <laughs> it's like unbelievable. That you was, must have had a really good tradespeople there. <laughs> I had you and Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You worked really hard and then I'd finish work at 9 o'clock and get to the shops at 9.30 and we'd still be going at 11.30 and mm. do it again yeah, the it next day. It was, it was pretty, it was enjoyable. We had a really good time. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Mm. And then slowly but surely we renovated the other three mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, ran a successful float business for eight years. Mm. Well, only only about two years of it in that yep. location. In the the rest of it had been at the home. home. Mm. Mm. And home-based business was good, but that's got its problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, what led? What do you think led to the decision to uh, sell that business and move into a caravan? What did? You tell me. Ah, oh, the ayahuasca. Oh, well, I wasn't going to say that, but I was just going to talk in general. But um, I don't think that. I think we'd already decided. Yeah. Uh, it, for me, it was that I'd seen that there was a. For me, it seemed like the right time to sell the business because I could see that I was getting tired mm. and uh, that it needed someone with new enthusiasm because I was exhausted because I think the whole renovating the shop process in itself was exhausting. Yeah. And because there is such a big age gap between us, mm. I could see that if I was working through till I was 50 before we retired and had an adventure, you would then be 68 mm. and starting to get to the point where the kinds of adventures that we'd be having wouldn't be mm. as much fun. Yeah. So we, c- I could see a window of opportunity where my parents are still healthy, there were no grandchildren, mm. uh, we didn't have any debt, mm. um, and it was time to have an adventure. We did almost, we did look at buying a house. We did. A- and mm. went to an option, we couldn't get a loan. Um, but that, b- probably because we were trying to do it in a hurry because mm. there was a property we were interested in but that didn't happen and so I think we took that as a sign to go well let's live in a caravan and have some adventures mm. yeah I remember now Yeah, <laughs> I'll answer your questions yeah. for you <laughs> and then uh, like seems like five minutes after we decided that Olivia came to us and said, oh, I'm having a baby. Shit. The window of opportunity has been closed. <laughs> not that we not that we begrudged that, it was that it was now that we we couldn't venture too far. Yeah. And we needed to be nearby and and uh, interactive as grandparents. Yeah. Rather than see her. Mm. So but that's fine. Yeah. We that's, that's what wonderful. we're doing. And you also, I remember we were doing a ride up to Falls Creek and you saw these machines. Snowcats. Snowcats. And my brother Stephen was with us and he said, oh yeah, I drive those. And you couldn't 
believe it. Hmm. And he said, could you get me a job doing that? Hmm. He said, oh, probably. Hmm. And so yeah. that's what got you interested in well, working in the snow. Like anything that's a machine, hmm. I, I want to have a go of it. Yeah. And the snow cats are cool. And, uh, yeah, he, we, we got jobs hmm. through your brother, which was great to yeah. be able to work with him. But also for us to be working for such an awesome company in Falls Creek on the same roster, on the same days off, driving snowcats in the snow and skiing on our days off. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so we do that for the winter. Hmm. And what are you now doing for the summer? Uh, this summer I've uh, got back into flying. Yep. So I had uh, nearly five years off. Mm-hmm. And I was Do you want to tell the story about what happened with your... where you were meant to be working? Yeah. Because yep. I think so, it's interesting. So the guy that um, convinced me to go and work at that company where we met, um, he didn't think much of me. And so he had it in for me and... He thought... You got him fired, yeah. which wasn't the case. No. He got himself fired. Yeah, but that's by virtue of his own behaviour. But he worked, He took over working for the company that I used to work for, which prevented me getting a job back in there. Um, until I re- can I jump in? I remember we were at a Christmas party at that company when uh, the CEO had been fired and this... New guy? This new guy who we had both worked for, got announced as the new CEO of mm. the company. At that stage, you were just a casual employee mm. there. You'd mm. gone casual rather than full-time, mm. and everyone was really excited about this new guy, and we both looked at each other and we said, out of the frying pan, into the fire. Yeah, definitely. Just you wait. Yeah. And you, we both pretty much said, if he's the boss... We don't want you working there. Mm. Yeah, and I didn't. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he, the company he was working for, they, they sacked him, and some mates of mine that uh, worked there rang me and said, oh, the door's open, do you want a job? And I didn't <laughs> want a job, but then we chatted, and I thought, oh, well, could be, um, you know, if I had a good break, I could get back into it, and it could be good money. So I spent the entire winter preparing and um, getting ready to be re-employed as a pilot, um, including a psych, psych test and an online uh, over-the-phone interview, and I got a job. But like it was a, a massive psychological shift for me to go. Five years ago, I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this ever again. Mm. I'm just going to go and do other things to then turn around and go, I'm going back. Mm. And it was going to be shift work and it was going to be um, night flying, it was going to be flight in cloud and it was going to be night vision goggles and they're all things that I'd done and I felt um, (coughs) confident but also a bit nervous about doing it. But anyway, I got the job and I left Falls Creek and went 
back to Adelaide to have my induction. Um, just as a bit of an aside, at Falls Creek it was difficult. To, the building we lived in was really noisy and it was difficult to get to sleep. As, uh, we did a bit of late night work and finishing at midnight we started taking um, valerian. It's a herbal tablet you buy from chemist or actually no health food shop. And uh, fast forward to my induction, I went to do my alcohol and drug test and the drug test came up with a non-negative, which is not a positive and not a negative, it needs further testing. And as it turns out, uh, valerian can mimic Valium in a urine test, which is what it did. The tester said, are you on Valium? I said, no. And uh, the subsequent test, it shows nothing because it's not a drug. But there was someone within that company that didn't want me there. And the chief pilot on the first day of my induction told me that. So here I was day two and I'd been stood down. Uh, in fact, I'd lasted a day and a half in a company that I that had been rebranded, uh, but a, essentially a company that I'd previously worked for. And they kept me at home for eight days with no phone calls to say anything except on the Friday. So midway, midway through that time, they rang and said, your test is negative. But we're conducting further investigations and on the eighth day they sacked me for um, using poor judgment <laughs> so it was pretty like devastating really that so much time and energy had been put in to get did to they that. explain what that meant ah, no I asked them I said what what's poor judgment mean and they said no it's the decision's been made and I said well hang on the decision's been made without my input do I have any recourse? No. You're sacked. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost comical, really. The way Imagine if you'd shifted your family and put your kids in school. Yeah, and yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, yeah, it was pretty full on. It's um, pretty poor treatment. I, by the seventh night, I was here in Adelaide on my own. And by the seventh night, I knew they were going to sack me because the, their behaviour was weird. It was weird, wasn't it? Mm. And I knew in my heart that if they didn't sack me, I was going to quit because I didn't want to work for a company that treats their staff like that, especially new staff, um, that gave them no opportunity for reply. Um, especially as I go towards the end of my career mm. I, I didn't mm. want to work for them mm. so I almost clicked my heels when I got out onto the street after they'd sacked me and I had a really good friend of mine with me who works for that company <clears throat> and he said that he was embarrassed to work for that company and we had a coffee and he said uh, do you know they're looking for pilots at the at a company in Adelaide, and you know the chief pilot. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. I'll ring him. And 
the next day I had another job. <laughs> so I went from being sacked to employed within 24 hours. A job that was more suited to you Way than what you suited. wanted to yeah. achieve. It's a summer job that I can have, that I can return next summer if uh, if they want, if they'll have me. Uh, it's all daytime, um, doing fire observation, and there's nothing complicated about it, and it's the perfect job for me at this time in my aviation career. Mm. Funny how things happen. Yeah, the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Just when you think the worst decision's been given to you, mm. they did me a favour. I should send them all flowers. You should. They did me a favour. I'm so glad that I didn't get that job. Mm. And I, I knew in my heart along the way of getting ready that it wasn't for me, but I went but with it. But there was something... If you, hadn't, if you hadn't gone for that, then this the current job, job wouldn't have happened. So I wouldn't have been ready. We, but I think we both felt like there was something... You were heading in the right direction and something wasn't right, but it would become clear... And yeah. It did. Yeah. 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 So now I fly helicopters for the summer, mm-hmm. and uh, snowcats for the winter. Awesome. And we can just go backwards and forwards like that, and still get to live in our caravan, and still get to participate as grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can hear that waves in the background, but we're parked on the beach in mm-hmm. front of the most beautiful beach. And uh, we've got an awesome caravan that's way too big for two people. <laughs> it's just the right size. I we think. have no debt, and um, we're free. Free. As free as you can be with caravan fees over Christmas. Yeah. But yeah, we're free. Yep. Mm. And. So we now have a grandchild? Two. Two grandchildren. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I wasn't prepared for how good it is. There's something different about being a grandparent versus a parent. And it's probably as a parent you are busy. You're trying to sort out your career or your finances or whatever it is that you're trying to sort out but as a grandparent you're you are free to just love them and accept the love that they want to give you Mm. and it's uh, it's the most amazing thing ever Mm. and one of them's uh, about to turn two and the other one's just turned one month old and there's another one on their way in June and it's going to be hard this winter to go away from them but um, we'll, we'll have a couple of trips back and we're here for the whole of the summer so it's everyone gets everyone gets a bit of everyone yeah. so no one no one can complain really yeah yeah but yeah grandchildren if you haven't got them they're awesome yeah you wait <laughs> mm. so is there anything else you want to tell us about yourself and your life and no what I want you to think. know what you do. Ah, oh, that's that's for another time. 
Well, what, well, I think what we'll do is we'll have a um, podcast about floating. You can tell us about floating and you can tell us about what you do. Sure. Good idea. <laughs> of yours. Yeah, yeah, good idea of mine. <laughs> All of my good ideas are yours, Ellie. Mm. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thank you. I'm sure there's a lot more questions that I could have asked you but I just tried to prompt you to keep talking rather than mm. no that, that was good yeah um, pretty much this is a, the first podcast that we will have ever done yeah and it's just putting us in a position where we can do more and we'll learn how to do it yeah and learn what sorts of questions to ask mm. and yeah the the idea of podcasting is good because it's uh, free. It's not controlled speech. You can say whatever you want. Mm. And uh, we listen to quite a few podcasts and enjoy the fact that you can have an interesting person in your lounge. Mm. Um, maybe someone might listen to this. Maybe they won't. That's okay. Oh, well. We'll have a record of our adventures. That's it. And... Yeah. Perhaps we'll be able to speak to some interesting people, even if it's just that their family then have a record of mm. them and mm. um, their history and their stories. Yeah. Then, if that's all it is, then that's that's great. Yeah. I think your voice is a way nicer podcast voice than mine. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. And I'll speak to you again soon, I'm guessing. In about the next a one's ne- <laughs> yeah. But the next one, maybe you'll be asking me questions. Maybe. Yeah. Good idea. Because I probably uh, took over for most of that podcast anyway. And Definitely. Well, sometimes you weren't taking the hint about what I wanted you to talk about, so I had to jump in. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting it to be like back to the beginning. You did Where well. else do you start? Yeah, the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good night. Podcast number one.